Good evening, everybody. Um, as you know, so I am the wife of Pastor Isaac. Um, I'm Kim. Uh, and today, I have entitled my sermon, Lost and Found. Now, the word lost and found, how many of you know what it lost and found means? When you hear the word, what, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? You know, when I hear the word lost and found, do you, do you know that SIBKL has a lost and found as well? Have, have any of you had to visit the lost and found? I hope not. Oh, someone has. But um, lost and found is a, is a very interesting concept. It's a place where you can get lost, you can find lost items that other people have found. It's, it feels like a, a mouthful, but that's what a lost and found is. And I thought that, you know, I, I would use this topic, lost and found, because I will be talking about uh, the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. So I thought uh, it would be apt to use um, lost and found as the topic of my sermon today. So as you know, uh, I will be talking about Luke 15. Um, there are three parables there. So initially, I was like thinking, oh, maybe, you know, it's like really long, each parable. Should I just pick one parable and just dive into it? But then I realized that actually it's, it's quite difficult to split the three because they all come as one. All right. So these three parables, I believe, they are related to one another. So we are going to um, dive into three parables today. Not, not, not one, but three parables um, because I'm ambitious like that, uh, but because I believe that it will bring the fullness of the Word of God. Let us just start with a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you for today. I thank you for this lovely evening. I thank you, Father Lord, for the privilege to even be here, Father Lord, to share your Word. So Holy Spirit, may you speak to me so that I'm able to speak to others as well and to share your Word. So may you increase, may I decrease, and may your Holy Spirit just plant a seed in each and every one, Father Lord, and may it be a fertile soil in their hearts so that they may hear the word of God and go out and make a difference. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to get you all to turn to Luke 15 with your Bibles, whether it's physical or online. Are you there at your Bibles? Now, I'm going to start with the first three verses of Luke 15, because I believe this actually frames the context of the parables. Many times you just read the parable and, you know, we just focus on each parable, but I think that it is very important that we, we try to recognize or understand why did Jesus even speak these three parables in the first place. So I'm going to get you all to read this with me, verse 1 through 3. Everyone, are you ready? Ready? Wave your hand. Yay! One, two, three. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Like I mentioned, so this actually gives you the context. So Jesus told this parable because he was actually addressing the people here. Specifically, I think he was addressing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because they had a certain mindset about sinners and they were like muttering under their breath like, why? Why is this Jesus eating with these tax collectors and sinners? And I think he was not only just addressing um, the Pharisees and the sinners, he also wanted the tax collectors to hear what it is. 
and why he is eating and welcoming there. So that is the reason why he saved these three parables. Now, I'm going to attempt to tell you the three parables slowly, one by one, narrated. Uh, I, initially, I thought maybe I could get you all to read the parables, but I thought maybe it would be more fun if I had narrated. Now, I have a very cute picture of uh, a sheep and a lamb, right? Uh, very cuddly. Luke 15, verse 4 to 7. So the first parable is about lost sheep. So Jesus says to the people that were listening to him, he said, you know, suppose you have a hundred sheep, but one sheep goes missing for whatever reason, and wouldn't you then leave the 99 sheep and then go find that one lost sheep? And when you actually find that one lost sheep, you will take that sheep and carry it on your shoulder and joyfully go home. And then you will rejoice with all your friends and neighbors. And then Jesus likened that lost sheep to a, a repentant sinner and how heaven rejoices when they find a repentant sinner. So he likens a lost sheep that is found to a repentant sinner. And so that's the parable of the lost sheep. Simple enough, right? Now, the second parable is the parable of the lost coin. So it's almost similar as the lost sheep, right? So a lady, suppose she has 10 coins. She, sorry, she loses one, um, and, and doesn't she then um, search for it by lighting the lights in the house, lighting the lamp in the house, searching for it, sweeping the floor until she finds the lost coin. And when she finds the lost coin, she rejoices. She calls all her friends and her neighbors to tell them, oh, I found this lost coin. And then Jesus again likens this found coin like a repentant sinner that has been saved. And he says that, you know, the angels in heaven rejoice together. And so you know, it's like almost a repeat of story. First, he talks about the, the, she, the sheep and the shepherd, and then he talks about the lady and the lost coin. And then the third parable comes. Now, the third parable is a, it's almost same-same, but not same. The third parable is about two sons. So he talks about this man. He has two sons. But one son, unfortunately, apparently is the youngest son. No, no, I, I, re, I rebuke that the youngest son is the naughty one. But it just happens that it was the youngest son. The youngest son says to his father, give me my share of my property. And then the father agrees and gives him half the share of his property. Now, you must understand that it's quite insulting because it's like asking for your parents' inheritance before they even pass on, right? So it was a very bold move that the youngest son did. And, and then he, what he did was he took his inheritance. He then went off to a faraway country uh, and then squandered all that uh, and, you know, in, until he had no more money left, no more wealth left. And then... It says that, you know, he, he came to the point of desperation. He had to be hired by someone to, to feed the pigs. Now, how many of you know, you know, they're talking to a Jewish audience, right? And for Jews, pigs are like considered really, really unclean, right? So he has come to the point where it's like, to the point where so desperate until he has to work uh, in a pig farm to feed pigs. And he says on how desperate he was, was when he was looking at the pigs eating the pig pots, he was so hungry, he even wanted to eat the pig food. But even that was denied to him. And so it, it tells about how the son then suddenly comes to his senses. And he thought, you know, uh, back home, uh, even the servants got extra food to eat. But here I am suffering. 
Then he said, you know what? I think I need to go back home to my father. And, and you know, I'm not even sure if my father will receive me. So he then begins to rehearse in the head. What is he going to tell his father? He, he said, you know, maybe I tell my father, you know what? I have sinned against heaven and against you. You know, I'm not even worthy to be your son right now. Um, just make me like one of your servants and that will be good enough. And so he decided as he was rehearsing what he was going to say, he walked towards, I mean, I don't know, I assume he walked, right? He walked or he, obviously he doesn't have a, a ride or whatever. So he walked home all the way and this is a different country. And when he did, it says in the Bible that far away, before he even uh, reached home, his father saw him from afar and the father was he was so excited that he ran to his son and he hugged him and embraced him and kissed him and he told his servants, quick, give him the best robe, um, you know, give him some sandals for his feet and, and, and let him wear a ring, right? And all this is to signify, you know, that he accepts him. And, and you can imagine, you know, the, the father is like prim and proper, right? He's obviously a man with wealth and everything and his son is obviously like dirty, smelly, been feeding pigs, and yet the father, you see, has no problem running all the way to, to embrace his son. So that is the story of the, the two parables. And it goes on to talk about the elder brother now. So it says then, the father was so excited that he decided to have a party. And then, you know, he tells his servant, can you get the fattened calf? Because we must celebrate, you know, my, my son is back. We must tell everybody that my son is back. And he has an older son. Now, this older son is in the field, and when the older son came home, he heard, like, celebration, he heard, like, sound and joy, and then he asked the servant, what's going on? What, was there a party going on? And then the servant tells him, yeah, your father is throwing a party because your, your brother, who has, you know, gone off, has come back. So your father has killed the fattened calf, and so we're having a celebration. And then the older brother was really, really angry. He was like, what? And then he refused to go in because he was really unhappy. And then you see, the father actually goes out to the oldest son and he pleads with him. He said, you know what, son, come in, come in and join the party. And then the, the son, he responded to his father this way. He says, ah, look, all these years I slave for you. I do everything, follow what you say. But then you know what? You don't even give me a goat to celebrate with my friends. And this son of yours who squandered your property with, with prostitutes, come back, immediately you, you kill the fattened calf for him. And you can see the story ends there, where the father saying to him, look, son, everything I have is yours, but your, your brother who was lost is now found. Your brother who I thought was dead is now alive again. And then the story ends there. And we don't know whether the elder son ever went into the party or the elder son continued to hold a grudge and be really upset. But this is all that Jesus says. And so it stops with this cliffhanger, all right? The parable of the lost son. Now, I know that these parables, is, these three parables, if, you, if you're in church long enough and if you listen to enough sermons, you will always find that people always talk about these parables to kind of encourage you to have a heart for the lost. They use these parables to tell you, that's why la, you need to evangelize the lost. That's why you need to be a witness. You need to share the gospel. And that's not wrong. I do agree. I do agree that we need to share um, to the lost. But sometimes, if we don't understand the heart of God first, 
we can then look at sharing the gospel or witnessing or evangelism as just like a to-do list. Or even some of us as a KPI, like we just want to seal the deal. We just want to make sure that person accepts Jesus, you know, and, then, and we, we lose the heart of the Father. And then for some, you know, if they're not very gung-ho about evangelism, maybe you're on the other end. You're, you're truly overwhelmed when people talk about evangelism because you're like, huh, Jesus say, got 100 sheep, I have to go for that one sheep and then leave my 99 and they feel like, wow, so, so how long do I have to keep searching for this lost sheep? And they feel very stressed or overwhelmed when, we, when they hear about how do we need to really go after that lost sheep and for how long do we have to go after that lost sheep? So different people have different response to these three parables. But I'm here today to say that don't just look at this parable as like, oh, it's a call for you to have a heart for evangelism. It is to some extent because that is the heart of God. But I would like us today to actually understand the full heart of God and why did God even share these three parables. He shared these three parables not only because he wants you to go out and evangelize, which I know he does because that is his commission and his last mandate to all of us, but I want you to take home when you read this parable to understand the heart of God for the lost. Then perhaps when we evangelize and when we witness, it would not seem like a task or a KPI. So the first thing, the first truth that I believed when you lit, read these three parables is that God pursues while we are still powerless. When you look at the three parables, you realize that God pursues even while we're still fallen, even when we're still messed up. Now, I know the normal mindset, or even for people today, not just at a time of Jesus, is that we, some religions, we believe that, wow, we need to be good, and that God is willing to save us. We think we have to get it all right, we need to be perfect before God will want to save us. But this is not true. This is God, despite your mess, despite all your fallenness, despite the fact that you are not powered to, to, to get out of your sin, he came first. He pursues first. And it, it's sometimes, you know, sometimes people think like, you know, I don't want to go to church lah, because I, I'm not a very good Christian. Lah. Then, then people judge me. And then I'm thinking to myself, no, in fact, we come to church because we are all sinners and we need Jesus. And it's not like we've got to get our act right and be perfect before we can go to cell or go to church. So I just even implore you that if you have a mindset that you think that you have to get it all perfect and right and, and be like, you know, come to church with a, with a mask, I implore you to, to realize that that is not what our Father wants. Our Father wants us to come so that He can pursue us even when we are powerless. And what does it say in the parable of the lost sheep? Here it says in the parable of the lost sheep, in Luke 15, verse 4 to 6, he says, Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Now, why does the parable, you know, why does the shepherd need to leave his sheep, and go after that lost one? Why? Why do you think he needs to leave? I believe it's because if, I read a bit about shepherding and about sheep. They say that if a sheep is lost and is separated from the rest of its flock, there is a high possibility, a high tendency that the sheep probably would not survive. 
Now, we all know sheep, right? They're not like predators, right? They're like soft and, you know, I don't know, I won't call them elegant, but I taught them cute, right? Like, they're cute little sheep, and, and it's not like they can fight the, the wolves and they can't fight the element. And so, for the sheep, if it's lost, it's as good as dead. And so, that's why for the, the, the shepherd, if he doesn't leave his sheep to go find that one, chances are he's leaving, he's as good as saying, I uh, let the sheep die lah. And that's not the heart of the father. That's why the shepherd actually, he actually takes some sort of risk. Well, there's a lot of studies that say, you know, maybe the sheep, uh, the shepherd go and get all the, some other shepherd to take care of the 99, then only go. Um, there's many, many theories of it. But in, the, in, the, in this part of the parable, it doesn't mention that he actually does that. It just says he leaves the 99 and goes and find that one sheep because he knows that sheep is powerless and is unable to come back home on its own. And because of that, he carries it, you know, and why does he carry it? He carries it on his shoulder. Now, obviously, for practical reasons, um, apparently, according to my husband, you know, when he carries my son sometimes, he carries him, them on the shoulder, and I'm like, why? Why don't you just carry him like normal, right? And he goes, oh, because uh, when I put him on my shoulder, then the weight is distributed, and it's not just my biceps carrying it, it's, it's I'm carrying him with my whole body, right? So, so for practical reasons, the, I, I think the shepherd brings uh, the sheep home on his shoulder. But, but I think uh, it's not just the practical reasons, I also think it's because by the time the shepherd found the sheep, he's probably, the sheep is probably very distressed, the sheep is probably very like, you know, not even in any, not in any mode to actually get back home safely. And that's why the shepherd had to carry the sheep on his shoulder. Now, that's not an easy feat. How many of you know, you know, you see this picture, it's a cute little lamb. Like, well, Mary had a little lamb and we think like, wow, so cute, huh? Carry the sheep, so, so nice. We, we go and go after the lost sheep and then we carry it and we think you know, we have such a nice view of how carrying the sheep home. But how many of you know how heavy a sheep is? How many, how, how, how many, weight, how, how many kilograms do you think a sheep is? And anybody who cooks lamb of leg, very heavy, right? Just the lamb of leg is heavy itself, right? How many of you know how heavy is a sheep? Well, the sheep, I Google, and it says it's 45 to 160 kilos. Wow, that's like carrying two Isaac links on your... <laughs> Shoulders, right? So, so can you imagine? It's not an easy feat to bring the sheep home, right? And, and sometimes, maybe some of you, you're thinking, ayah, this cell member of mine, a lot of baggages, lah, very heavy to carry. So maybe in that mindset, you realize, no, maybe you got to carry a little bit. And it, sometimes it does take a little effort. And, and I just wanted you to know that it does take an effort, but it is always, there is always an active pursuing and the Father, the Father God, always pursues us even while we are powerless. Amen? And it's not just, you know, talking about agriculture and sheep and farming, but, you know, he talks even about a lady, you know, right? She, she lights a lamb, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. Now, I know in this picture you see a robot vacuum. I'm pretty sure at that time, it wasn't so easy. She didn't just switch it on and then, okay, find my lost coin, find my lost coin. Uh, incidentally, uh, my husband bought this uh, robot for me for my first wedding anniversary. So romantic, right? <laughs> but, it doesn't, but it doesn't work anymore. So now I'm back to old-fashioned sweeping. Hin-hin, husband. Um, and so, like, um, 
You know, I, I think that when you want to look for something lost, there is always an effort to do it. Now, now the truth is, if I lost a 10 cent coin, just truth be told, and if, if I lost it at home, I'm probably not going to, you know, take, waste my time and really, really go and sweep and find that 10 cent coin, right? But if it's something that is of value enough, you will make that effort. You know, how many of you love house chores? I, I truly, truly love house chores, uh, uh, except for my husband, but I really love house chores. So when I read about this lady having to sweep the house, search for it, I was like, wow, oh, so much effort. And, and yeah, so sometimes when we are looking for the lost, there is effort that is required. And we search for something when there is value. If it's not important enough, we probably just let it go. But there's value, and that's why we search for it high and low. And so, you know, I think about Jesus when he's telling us about this parable, right? He's telling them that, you know, um, there's value. There's value in the people that I'm talking to. There's value in the, in the tax collectors, the sinners, and that's why I have come for all these people. So there's value in them, and I am willing to search for you. And, you know, then we read in the third parable, in the parable of the lost son. It says here in Luke 15, verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, this is the son, okay, the son that squandered the property, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. Remember I said the context of this was the son has been, you know, super hungry, he has been with the pigs, he has walked home, you know, without sandals, and his feet is dirty, and he's smelly, and he hasn't showered for days and months, and, he, and he's back home. And the father runs to him. Now, I know, like, for some of us, we're like, oh, you know, we think like, wow, because uh, the son came back, that's why the father went to him. It, it's not as that. It's the father has always been there waiting for his son. I believe that's why he went a far way off the father could even recognize his son because I think deep down in his heart, he was waiting for his son to come back and he would pursue his son. But sometimes the son decides to run off and, and go away and squander his properties. And so for some of us, you know, when you, you think about the parable of the, you know, the, 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 the 99 sheep, you leave and then you go for one. Some people ask, so uh, uh, if I go after that sheep uh, and the sheep refuse to come back home and then I keep going after the sheep, when do I ever let go? You know, it's overwhelming, you know, when you have to follow up with so many people. I have so many people to follow up. And that's why, you know, praise God, right, that Jesus didn't just write one parable. He wrote three parables. And in this third parable, it says, you know, that the father actually let the son go. That he did not let him go like, okay, like, you go and die, like, whatever. He did not. He let him go because the son wanted to go and he released him. And I believe that's how God wants us. When we, when we think about all that lost sheep that don't want to come home and, and you know, we, we strive so hard to encourage your members to come to sell and, and sometimes it's just not interested, sometimes it is okay to let go. And I, and I hope that sometimes some of us are, we use only one parable. We say one parable. God says, uh, you, must, you must leave 99. You must look for that lost sheep. And then we become that lost sheep. And then when people don't come look for us, they say, why you don't look for me? Uh? You're supposed to, 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 to leave all and come look for me. And, and then we, we become very difficult. Uh, and then it's like, why nobody care about me? Uh? And then they keep rehearsing all their baggages, their problems. And then you wonder, how come uh, this cell leader don't care enough for me? Uh, never, never only, only uh, should be leaving the 99 and uh, care for me. And sometimes we can just take one parable and we put that as gospel truth. 
But no, we have to read in the context, right? Even in the context, the father lets the son go. But not because he's letting him go to just die, but because that was the choice of the son. He has free will. But I believe that the father never stopped thinking about him. The father never stopped hoping that the son will come back. And so you see, when the son was at his lowest stage of his life, when he was powerless, when he was hungry, and he was desperate, and he realized, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I can't help myself anymore. I, want, I, want, I thought I could work and at least get some money so that I don't have to come back to my father, you know, but at the end of the day, I realized that I can't even help myself. I am powerless. And only when he was powerless, he took that step to come back. And he just had to take that step. And the father ran to him immediately. The father didn't wait. And, and that's how it is with our father in heaven. And you know, Jesus told these three parables while he was still alive. But many, many years later, in Romans, Paul actually says this about Jesus Christ. He says, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, but God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. It is true. While we are still sinners, Christ died for each and every one of you. But the difference is, do you want to respond to Jesus that has died for you? And this is the heart of the Father, that he pursues even when we are powerless. And the other point that we need to know about God is that God cares while others may criticize. You know, it's very easy sometimes for us to criticize. And, and you know, even, even Jesus got criticism at his time, right? Everyone think like, he's so perfect and everything, and still got people criticize him, right? So that's always like a comfort, you know, like even Jesus get criticized, so if you get criticized, uh, don't worry, like even Jesus also gets criticized. So in Luke uh, 15, verse 2, it says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, uh, even the Pharisees, right, I, I believe they were so offended with Jesus, it started with a little bit of criticism towards Jesus. Like this Jesus, uh, his methodology a bit un unconventional. First, he go and heal people at the Sabbath uh, and, and, and they begin to have criticism. First, they muttered under their breath. And if you're not careful, you keep muttering, you keep criticizing. After a while, it turns to sending Jesus to be crucified. And that's what happened to the Pharisees. And I believe that it was because the Pharisees had some sort of idea of how a Messiah should look like, how a Messiah should act. And, and sometimes they mutter because they are criticizing Jesus. And, and they are not just criticizing Jesus, they also criticize the sinners and the tax collectors. Now, some of you may say, Yala, Memang should criticize them because they are so horrible. These cat collectors, they are just taking money from the poor and, you know, they're betraying our people. So some of us, we feel very justified. Uh, yeah, 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 we, we should criticize, uh, we should criticize. But sometimes, if we're not careful in our hearts, we're so busy criticizing that we forget to care. And sometimes some of us, even when we're serving in ministry, right, it's so easy to say, this is the right method to do, this is the strategy to do it, this is the way to do it. And then we 
Say, la, why does this person do this way? Why this pastor uh, like that uh, do this way? Uh, or not just in, the, in church, right? Sometimes in cells. Then we criticize our cell leader. Why this cell leader like that? Uh, then we have all kinds of things to say about our cell leader. Or, or maybe in your workplace. You know, everybody's quiet. I don't know if you love your boss, amen. But if you don't, and you find yourself criticizing your boss every day, there's something that we need to watch. And I'm not just telling this to you guys and telling you why, because I have it. You know, I find myself sometimes very critical as well, right? Um, I, I find myself sometimes saying things like, there's a better way to do it. And without realizing that, sometimes it's, it's, it's actually a, a show that we have some sort of pride, some sort of self-righteousness, some sort of thinking that I think I'll do it better, I think I know how to do this better, and, and then we mask it in a form of feedback. Now, I'm not against a feedback. I, I really believe that we should feedback because without feedback, right, sometimes we have blind spots and we cannot improve, right? So I, I totally believe in feedback. But we have to be very careful that our feedback is not an opportunity to complain and to be critical. Everything is also critical. So if you find yourself constantly criticizing instead of caring, then you need to watch yourself. You know, it says here, the son, the older son, the supposedly not naughty son, the better son, right? So, so it seems, he seems like the better son. But this is what he says. Maybe I can get you all to read. And I'm not going to get you just to read. Try to read it in the emotion of the brother, okay? Don't, don't just read, huh? Try to read it in the emotion of the brother where he's really angry at his father, uh, and if you have any anger towards anybody right now, maybe you think, ah, okay, so read that, okay? Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> you know, sometimes when we read this, right, I can feel the anger of the elder brother, right? And it's easy for us to even judge the older brother, right? But sometimes we also feel that way. I mean, I, I sometimes feel very... Sometimes we go through situations, you say, Hiya, that fellow's so lousy, get promoted over me. And then you're like, how can? Or, or sometimes be like, this person, so horrible, and yet getting blessed, uh, the, the business keep growing and growing and you're like, how can? And sometimes without even, you know, realizing, we, we are almost like the older brother, right? And, and we, we draw a line because we are like, you know, I'm not like my younger brother. He couldn't even say his brother, you know. He has to say, your son of yours uh, squandered your property. Like, you know, and, and he sometimes, when we're too angry and resentful and we we are so critical that if we're not careful, we start to draw a line between you and me. Your ministry, uh, like that, my ministry. Your department, like that, my department. Your church, like that, my church. Your cell leader, like that. And we start to draw a line. And if we're not careful, we draw the line. We end up like the Pharisees who draw very big demarcation between not like you, but like me, and we end up judging and becoming very judgmental, and we cannot even care for that person. 
Now, I just want you to think in your heart right now, someone that, you know, is really, you know, really gets to you and it makes you really angry and for whatever reason, lah, you know, not, not biblical reasons or whatever, maybe they, they are just really horrible at home or your boss is really not nice to you. Think of that person right now and you think yourself, when you're so filled with critical and criticism with that person, do you think it is easy to care for that person? I guarantee you, if you're angry with that person, it's very hard to care for that person. And if you allow yourself to keep filling yourself with criticism because you think, I am justified to, to say all these things about this person, we end up, we can't care, right? And, you know, husband and wives look at each other, like, you know, we're critical about each other, about how we close the toothpaste or how we didn't throw the rubbish. And sometimes when we keep, keep this up, this criticism, we find that we draw a line and after long, we are not able to care anymore. And that's what happened to the Pharisees. And that's why Jesus was very careful to say, you know, I care. And he didn't just care for the, you know, he didn't just care for the tax collectors and the sinners. I believe he also cared for the Pharisees and the, and the, law, uh, the lawmakers. Because if you read in the prodigal, prodigal story, he actually likens the Pharisees like the older brother. And the father actually goes out and pleads to the older brother, please come back. You need to rejoice because your, your brother is home. He's lost, but he's found. And I believe that's the heart of the father for each and every one of us, whether you're like the tax collector, whether you're like the sinner, or whether like you're like the Pharisee who has judged someone else. And I believe, let us all not be too busy criticizing but instead, let us get busy caring because that's what Jesus did. He cared even when others were busy criticizing. Amen? And finally, what was the last point about God? I think one of the biggest points that I would say about Jesus is that God paid the price for the price. Now, what is the price and what is the price, right? So, you know, People always say salvation is free, but yes, salvation is free, but it costs God, His one and only Son. I want you to remember that people always say salvation is free. Yes, it's free, but it does cost God, His one and only Son. So sometimes when people say, Christianity, so easy, ah. just accept Jesus like that, that's it. Ah. But I don't think so. You know, it, it took God to send His one and only Son to be crucified, so it is not free. It's free to us, but it costs God everything. So what is the price? And what is the price? Z-E. The price, Jesus says here, is one sinner who repents. Both stories, whether it's the, um, the lost sheep or the lost coin, he says the price is when one sinner who repents. Now, the price is not a lost sheep. Yay, there's a lost sheep. No, that's not a celebration. Jesus, the people only celebrate when the lost sheep is found. And so we must remember, there is always an element of repentance. It, it doesn't just stop like, oh, a lost sheep, that is the prize. That is not the prize. The prize is when you actually find that lost coin and when you actually find that lost sheep. And so we ask ourselves sometimes, you know, what is this prize? And, and, and sometimes... The price is that one sinner who repents in the first two parables. But in the third parable, 
It says, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He's lost, but now he's found. Now, sometimes for some of us, we can just look at it like, oh, one sinner repented, and then we're like, okay, praise God, must clap, right? Because in Christian, everybody claps, so if you don't clap, feel very bad, right? So you clap, but I actually don't know whether you feel anything or not. But sometimes, and, and you know, because I, I work in uh, the department of, uh, that, that takes care of salvation, sometimes we can just look at the stats, oh, no, today got three salvation, four, but, and, and sometimes we can get really just so common, so normal. But I, I just want to remind you that when one sinner is saved, it's not just, wow, so good, huh? church got one more sinner, but it is about one soul, one life that is safe from the hands of the enemy. It is not just one brother that is safe, but this brother will eventually have kids, will eventually have grandchildren. So it's like a whole generation that is safe. When one person is safe, it's not just one person, it's the whole entire generation that is saved. And so it's not just one person that is lost. Everybody, do you realize, even for you here, there's always one person, always one person that impacts you, right? Can you imagine if that one person is not around? You might be a very different person. So when one person is safe, that one person impacts another person. And because of that, so many people are impacted sometimes just because of one saved soul. Amen. So heaven rejoices. You know, it says twice, right? First, heaven rejoices. And then the angels of the Lord also rejoices to show you because God, in His wisdom, He can see, you know, when one's safe, wow, there's going to be a light to this whole family. He's going to bring His friends and His neighbors to salvation. There is going to be a big introduction of light to this whole family. And so that's why heaven rejoices. That is the price. That is why Jesus was willing to pay the price. Now, you know, for every price, there is a price to pay. What was the price that the father paid? In Luke 15, verse 20 and 22, again, it says, He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him, said to his servants, Quick, bring the best rope and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Now, for most of you who are parents, Maybe you say, oh, actually, uh, the father didn't do anything. The father just sit there, wait for the son to come back. And then, okay, la, we come back. Then, okay, la, I receive him back. The most he do is just endure the smell of the son and hug him. But I believe that it was actually years and years of what the father held, the price he paid in caring and waiting for his son. Now, how many of you are parents here? You know that as a parent, when you have children, you never stop caring. You never stop worrying for your children, right? Till your dying day, your children are like 50 or whatever. You still care and worry for your child. And, and this, this story just reminds me of my mom. I'm, I'm going to embarrass her a little bit. She's sitting there. Um, so, so before I got married, uh, I was living with my mom. And um, I have a little window in my, 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 my home. And this window is where my car, you can see my car popped. So apparently, my mom, you know, she doesn't go to sleep until all her children are back home. Then only she goes to sleep. So it's kind of a habit for her to always go to the window and peek through the window to see, has the car parked? If the car is parked, then she can go to sleep. She knows that we're back home. So she used to live above, no, I used to live above her uh, in a condo and she lives uh, below me. That was then, right? And, and she used to do that. 
And, and the month after I got married, I got married out, so obviously I moved out, and I got married pretty late, 30 plus. So it's been 30 plus years that she's been doing this. So one day, my sister told me, my father uh, walked out to the hall, uh, and he saw my mother standing at the window there. And this is like midnight, right? And then my father asked her, Jean, what are you doing? And then she goes, waiting for Kim to come back. Her car is still not here. And then my father was like, uh, she's married out already. And, and, and I was like, wow. To, to, to some of us, it's like, you know, we're laughing or sometimes we're even crying because we're thinking, yeah, that's me as a parent. Until my dying day, until even my child is married, I will still care for my child. And I believe that is what my mom did. She, I know till today, she still worries whether I'm eating, uh, whether I'm being treated well, everything. You know, my mom still cares, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I know that every one of you still cares for your child. So I want you to know, when this father let his son go, I don't think he ever let go. I think that when you let your children go overseas and study, I don't think you let go. I think you still pray. You know, I was just talking to a mom. Wow, she's like fasting like for 40 days for a child. And I was like, wow, I still got to fast and pray. Huh? Even your child's so old already. And I was like thinking to myself, wow. And that I think the father never, ever stopped caring. He always held him in his heart. And I believe that is the heart of the father. If our earthly parents can care so much, I believe the earthly father cares for us a million zillion times more. And you know, it says, why, why you gave the robe, the ring, and the sandals? What does this all mean? It's because he wanted to restore to him sonship. It's not, you know, the, the father didn't just say, hey, you, you clean up first, huh, and then you come back. And then I make sure that you fully, fully repented, huh, then only I embrace you. The father had to take the risk to embrace this son and to tell all his friends, this son of mine is home. Who knows, right? The son squander again and run off again, right? Shameful again. Can you imagine for some fathers, it's very easy to embrace a son that is obedient and good and straight A's all the time. Very easy to embrace. But what happens when your child is wayward? What happens when your child disappoints you over and over again? What happens if your child brings grief to you? It's not so easy to embrace. But I believe that that is the heart of the Father in heaven. Sometimes God watches us from heaven and He sees all His children and He's like, you're making a mess of your life. You're doing things that harm you and is not good for you and you're eating from the pig's pods and you're living in filth and you're living in, in such depression and sadness and in such sorrow. And I just want to help you come to the light, come to Jesus. But sometimes, only until we reach our bottom pit or only until we come to our senses do we then say, I need to come back home to the Father. And that's what happens. Sometimes we can get so lost that we don't even want to be found. And I just believe and hope that you know that it's not about winning more converts, it's not about getting more Christians in the house, but it's about the heart of the Father, that He does not want to see any of His sons and daughters perish. He says, I long for none to perish. And that's why He will call each and every one of us back home. And that is the mandate of the church. 
to bring the sons and daughters of the Most High back home. And God did not just wait for us to wake up. You think God just waits passively, waiting for us? I believe God is constantly pursuing each and every one of you. Maybe you don't even realize. Maybe God pursues you through friends who tell you about Jesus, through tragedies in your lives, through warnings. God is always pursuing us. And I believe the greatest act that God has ever done for us is that he died, sent his one and only son to die for us. And in Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the altar and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. I want you to know that Jesus had to endure the cross. He paid the price for the price, which is all of us, which is all of us coming back to the heart of the Father. Now, right now, if there's any of you right now, I've been talking about the Father. Who is this Father, God? He is the Father of our Lord Jesus. That's why we Christians, we believe in Jesus, because God showed us His love through His Son, and His Son was willing to endure the cross so that you and I can come back to the Father. And what does it mean by Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith? It means Jesus is the beginning of our faith. He writes our faith. Without Jesus, there is no faith. Without Jesus, Without coming to Jesus, there is no faith. And you know what? Even after we have received Jesus, we don't become Christians and wow, automatically we're perfect, right? We look like Jesus after we receive Jesus. No. Sometimes, the more we walk with Jesus, He will perfect our faith. And some of us, we are on that road to being perfected in our faith because every day we need to come to the cross so that Jesus may perfect our faith. Now, is there any one of you right now, maybe I can just get you guys to bow your heads, close your eyes. I've been talking about this Father. And if this Father, Father God, who loves you, who is willing to send His Son and pursue you even when you're not powerless, when you can't save yourself, he is willing and He cares even though others may criticize. Sometimes God cares for you because He values you, because He created you. There is value in you. You may not think very much about yourself. Others may not very think very much of you, but there is still value in you. That's why God will pursue you and He is willing to pay the price so that you and I, brothers and sisters of Jesus, can come home and be with the Father one day. If you do not know Jesus, and you do not know this Father, but you believe that you want to know this Father, you want to receive Jesus for the first time, can I just get you to raise your hands up? No one's looking around. You don't have to be shy. If your heart is beating, and you're like, I know this Jesus. 
I've heard of him, but I've never made a commitment to say, I want you, Jesus, that I need you, Jesus, in my life. If that is you, can you just raise your hands high enough for me to see? Amen. Hallelujah. I'll just give you five more seconds. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. And I believe that each and every one of you are believers. But if you're still at the brink and you're wondering, is this God real? Did he really die for me? I just encourage you to keep coming because God will keep pursuing you. And one day, you will, there will be a celebration because you will come to know him. And the angels in the heaven above we'll celebrate with us together. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus, that we are forever yours, that nothing can snatch us from your hands, that unless we walk away, but Lord Jesus, may we never walk away from you, may we never run off and think that we have better pleasures out there, but may we always, always, when we have messed up, come back to the Father, because God, you pursue us even when we are messed up, even when we are messy, even when we are filthy, even when we can't help ourselves. And Lord, we serve a good and wonderful Father. May we always have a heart like yours. Lord, sometimes it is hard to care for lost sheep, and sometimes it's hard to care for the people around us. But Lord, may you increase in us your heart. May the Father's heart be inside us, that every day our faith is perfected because we walk with you, Jesus. We abide in you, and it is you that will give us the love to love others, that will give us the empathy for the people that are lost, and that will give us the power to pursue those that are lost among us. So Jesus, I pray that you give us your power, your wisdom, so that when we go out, we will always have the heart of the Father who pursues while we are still powerless, who cares even when others criticize, who pay the price. Now we can't pay the price because we're finite. Sometimes we're limited by our resources and our care. But Father God, He's not finite. And because He's not finite, he will always, always have all resources in the entire heaven backed up so that he can pursue you that are lost. In Jesus' name, set us apart, Lord. And I bless everyone that is here. Separate us with the love of the Father, with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Till we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless. If you are here for the first time, we encourage you to go down to Hospitality Lounge, one floor down. And if you're online, you can just check with us so that we can connect with you. Thank you.